Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, that you speak to us even today, Lord. Pray that, Lord, your spirit would speak through John this morning. Give him the words to speak. Give us the ears to hear, Lord. I pray for peace um, with the children in. Lord, I pray that we would have the ability to hear what you are saying and respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Continuing on our series, week 30. Look, I know the kids are in. I know it's crazy. You know, I was going through this, this passage this week. And Friday morning, I walk into the secretary's office, and I look on the floor, and there's all these kids' packs on the floor. I'm like, oh, the kids are in this week. It's like, yeah. I'm like, that's fantastic, because this is probably the most difficult and complicated text out of the whole, out of the whole book. So we're going to keep things short. We're going to keep things at a, um, just an overview level. We're not going to get down into kind of the minutia of things, and we'll keep things short. We know that with the kids in, it can get a little crazy, and the kids can, you know, get a little crazy sometimes, as well as the adults. So let's pray as we dig into God's Word. So Lord Jesus, Lord, we come before you this morning. We, we, we're thankful, God, for the men and women who have given their lives for us, that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have, the freedoms to worship and to gather together, to call upon your name, God, without fear of being arrested or thrown in jail. God, thank you so much for all the liberties that we have, and so God, thank you. God, we thank you for your word this morning that continues to speak to us and challenge us and change us, God. And we pray that uh, your word would be made clear and plain to us, um, as well as the children who are with us this morning, God. We pray for your peace to rest upon the kids this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 begins with the Apostle Paul reminding the church, as his book is coming to a close, reminding the church of the importance of what Jesus Christ has done on their behalf. And if, you, if you're new here, hopefully one of the things that you've noticed so far is that we're quite obsessed with Jesus Christ and who he is. We sing about him, we talk about him, we, we, we declare who he is, we, we share who he is. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all of history. And the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church and helping them to understand the importance of who Jesus Christ is. And he says this in the very first verse. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what is this good message? What is this good news that the, that the first Corinthians, that the Corinthian church was standing upon, they were believing in, and that they were being saved in. He said this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So there it is. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has come to earth, He died on the cross, he was buried and he rose again for our sins, that we could be forgiven and redeemed and restored. And that by trusting in Jesus Christ, in his death for us, 
that we're given new life, that our lives are changed. He goes on to read this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. So there's this, there's when we trust in this message of Jesus Christ, we are united with Jesus Christ. And that in being united with Jesus Christ, when we die, we are brought to, we are brought to resurrection life in Jesus Christ because of what he has done. That we have no fear of death because in Jesus Christ, death is not the end. It doesn't have the final word. We are raised to new life. Now, years and years ago, before I was uh, pastoring at all, I worked for a small plumbing supply company. I'm not saying who that is, but uh, it, it rhymes with bleeps. But um, I worked for a small plumbing supply company, and and in the truck that I drove, this is an old truck, uh, it was an AM-only radio. So some, there was some, somewhere, this is before my dad was, was um, overseeing Leaps, taking care of Leaps. So somewhere, one of my relatives uh, decided that he was going to save a couple pennies on a $50,000 truck and only get an AM-only radio, which I didn't know they even sold those, right? I didn't even know they manufactured AM-only radio, but... Surely he saved 10 or $15, probably real proud of himself. Hey, the drivers don't need FM, AM, they only need AM, and I can save myself a few dollars, right? So that's what he did. So I drove an AM-only radio, and somewhere in the truck, the radio was, was it didn't quite work the way it should. The, the antenna was, something was wrong with it. So basically, I got two stations when I drove this truck. I got like a 24-7 traffic station, which I didn't know existed, but somehow it was all traffic all the time, or I had the station that had Rush Limbaugh on it, okay? So, so I decided to listen to Rush Limbaugh for a little bit, right? Now, before you judge me and condemn me and start making all kinds of, you know, decisions about the kind of person I am, it was my only option, okay? So I listened to Rush Limbaugh for a number of weeks, and here's the thing about listening to Rush Limbaugh. You begin to get paranoid, right? You begin to become fearful because surely America is coming to ruin. I mean, if this bill gets passed, if this Democrat gets elected, if this, per man, the whole thing's falling apart. We're getting thrown back into the, you know, the stone ages. I mean, everything's going to collapse. The world's going to come to an end. I mean, it's like I had to actually, I became so fearful. I had to, I had to make a conscious decision. Like, look, I will cease to listen to the radio because I'm becoming so fearful of the future. It was, it, was, it was making me paranoid, and, and just every, every time I'd listen to the news, I'd think, oh, no, that's not, that's not what's true, right? Rush Limbaugh's got the in, and he knows, and it's bad, and it's getting worse, and it just, it was, it was terrible. Now, when the Apostle Paul begins to deal with the church in Corinth, he's dealing with a church that has, in some ways, has forgotten about the future of where they were headed. Right? He's dealing with a church where somewhere along the line they decided that the resurrection, the future, for them, really wasn't that important. And all we have to live for is today. Okay, 
So we're going to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 15 going further down that highlights what the church was going through and then the Apostle Paul's kind of diagnosis of what needs to take place in order to write the very things that the people were forgetting. So verse 32, in the second part of verse 32, we read this. If the dead are not raised, right? If the dead are not raised. So somewhere someone's saying, hey, look, the dead are not raised. We have no eternity. There's no future. It says if the dead are not raised, then the logical conclusion is this. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's, in his mind, he said, that is the logical conclusion. If there is no afterlife, if there is no eternity in the horizon, then let us eat and drink, because tomorrow there is no future. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. See, in all, that was in the first century culture, but in our, our culture, we have a similar situation. Similar in that there, some of us, People in the world and our culture live as if there is no tomorrow. All we have is today. Let's do whatever we want because it doesn't matter what's going to take place. So that's one side of the coin, right, where there's no regard for the future, so we're going to live and we're going to get crazy today. Now, the other side of that same coin is, is something a little different. I don't know if it's unique to America or not, but doomsday preppers, you ever... There's a TV show, Doomsday Preppers, right? I don't know if you've ever seen it or just seen commercials for it, right? So let me just read a little bit about Doomsday Preppers. As many as 3 million Americans now fall into the category dubbed as preppers. So 3 million. I think there's 300 million in America. Is that right? And so what is that, Frank? How many, what percentage? 1%. Okay. So 1% of Americans are preppers, right? So someone in here is a prepper. All right. People who are making detailed plans for the end of the world as we know it. The preppers are an ever-growing group of survivalists who take extreme measures to prepare for a major catastrophic event. One man in Phoenix keeps 1,000 tilapia fish in the deep end of his swimming pool, which he plans to eat when a massive solar flare knocks civilization back to the Stone Age. So when there's a major, you know, massive solar flare and everyone gets knocked back to the Stone Ages... This guy is going to eat tilapia, okay, out of his swimming pool. While a couple living in a gated home with 25,000 rounds of ammunition have enough food to last half a century, more than 300,000 people a month visit the movement's website, survivalblog.com, which catalogs how people are preparing for the worst. Now, it's the people, it's the culture that says it doesn't matter about tomorrow, so we're going to live crazy today. But it's the other side is saying, look, we're, we're going to so prepare for today that we're going to do all we can. We're going to build shelters. We're going to stockpile ammunition. We're going we're to build a whole swimming pool full of tilapia, right, so we can eat that. But either way, there's no, in both of these things, there's no thought about what happens after we die, right? We're, we're so consumed about living on this earth right now that we've, and so in the moment, and so prepared for this earth that we give very little thought to what happens after we leave this earth. What happens to us after we die? We've, we've made all these preparations for, for this life and this, the here and now, but we've given zero thought to what happens to us after we, after we pass away. 
I mean, what if these people were to say, look, look, I'm giving all kinds of thought and, and preparation for the end of this, of kind of the civilization we know it, but I'm going to give more of my thought and more of my attention to what happens after we pass away. And so Paul is connecting our view of eternity. He's connecting our view of eternity to how we live today. So these two things are inseparable. What we believe about our eternity, what we believe about what happens after we die, has an immediate effect on the way in which we live our lives today. Those two are connected, and you cannot separate those two things. It will affect the way that we live. Whether we give no thought to it and live like we're crazy or we think too much about it, either way, we give no thought to what's going on. So what Paul deals with in the rest of this chapter, we're going we're to quickly go through this, is two things. The how and the when of the resurrection. The how and the when. So how will this happen and when will it happen? 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to skip down to verse 42. So this is the how. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Skip down to verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so he begins to talk about when we pass away. So when we die, we're, we're sown, our body is given into the ground in dishonor. But when we're raised to new life, it is a completely different thing. We're not raised with the same body that's, that's broken and, and in pain. If you think about an acorn and, or even a, a pine cone before it kind of bursts open and all the seeds are in there, when you plant an acorn, you're not expecting a larger acorn to come out of the ground, right? There's, a, there's an expectation that what comes out of the ground has some continuity with the acorn, but something completely different will come out of the ground. We, we get a tree. In the same way, he's saying, look, when, when our bodies are planted into the ground, what comes out is there is some continuity with who we are, but what is raised is raised in glory. That there is an afterlife. There is resurrection life after we pass away. It's something completely different. He moves on. When is this going to take place? Verse, fi- verse 50. I tell you this, brothers... The flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my, bro- my beloved brothers, be steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So there comes a day when Jesus Christ once and for all banishes death. Jesus Christ once and for all is victorious over all of death, that there will be death no longer. That somewhere in time, Jesus is going to return and completely abolish death, rid this earth of death, rid this earth of the sin and the brokenness and the pain that has plagued us for thousands and thousands of years. And then the Apostle Paul says, look, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why do that? He says, because your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. The way we live our lives today has an impact on our eternity. In Luke 12, Jesus told a story. Jesus told a story about a guy who who was a farmer and he had an incredible crop that year. It was a bumper crop. Man, the, the conditions were just right. He had an unbelievable amount of food that he harvested. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be rich. I'm going to build larger barns. I'm going to store for myself all kinds of this food. I'm going to be taken care of for a long time. And Jesus says, you know what? That guy didn't realize that that night his life was demanded from him. And all the work that he put in to, to storing and preparing for himself this, this temporary future was taken away from him. And Jesus then goes on to say, at the end of that section in Scripture, he says this, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So as we think about eternity, God says, look, if you want to have eternity in your heart, that you want it to become a priority to you, begin storing your treasure in eternity. And we do that by the way in which we live today. He says, look, give to the needy. Take care of those who are, who are poor and broken and lost. Look out for the people who've been forgotten about. Care for those who have no one else caring for them. He says, in doing so, you are storing treasure in heaven. We're going to close in prayer. I want to encourage us. Consider eternity. It affects the way that we live today. Don't forget. Do not forget that this is not our home. That one day, we will be with Jesus forever in eternity. So Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of life for the gift of eternal life. God, we recognize, God, how easy it is for us to forget, God, our, our, our future, our home with you, and neglect the way in which we live for you today. So, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to consider the needy. God, help us to love one another. God, give us the strength and the grace to honor you with all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.